Good morning. Welcome everybody online. Great to have everybody here together, both here and online. Uh, it's Pentecost Sunday today. You may or may not know that. It's the day when we uh, remember and celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out. And uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the, the creator, the sustainer. He's our comforter. He's encourager. And like we sang this morning, we really do want to experience more of his presence, don't we? I mean, we want to know, come to experience more and more of his presence in us. And so um, that's our prayer that um, that would continue to grow and increase here among us. Um, so Martin Luther was once uh, approached by a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God. And Luther asked him, well, what's your work now? And the man said, I'm a shoemaker. Well, much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. You know, Luther didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes. Uh, he didn't tell the man to leave the shoe business and become a monk. Uh, he just said, if you want to serve God, make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. You know, for the past six weeks, we've been talking about the virtues that Jesus is inviting us into so that we can love one another the way God loves us. And what I hope you've been hearing through this series is that while there's certainly you know, things we have to do, habits we need to practice to grow in these virtues, in reality, the virtues are not so much activities that we tack on to our lives, nor are they a list of things that we really should be doing better. The virtues are much deeper than that. The virtues describe what God is like all of the time. And so they also describe who God is making us to be, right? It's that Holy Spirit work within us, transforming us and making us more like him. Well, like I said, today's Pentecost Sunday. It's, it's the day on the church calendar where we remember and celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out on those first disciples of Jesus about 2,000 years ago. And I, and I think it's a really appropriate day to wrap up this series on the virtues since it's the Holy Spirit in us who's doing that creative and transforming work of making us more and more like Jesus. That's what this is really all about. And, and I do believe there is a particular link between the seventh virtue that I'm going to talk about today, the virtue of service and uh, what Pentecost is all about. So I want to bring those two things together this morning. You ready for that? Let's pray. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. We do open ourselves to you and we invite you to, to move among us in a way that um, we come to experience more of you. And we want to let that transforming work really work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Lord, we want to become more and more like you. So just come and work in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You all have a good week? Everybody just looks a little, little worn out this morning here. Everybody a little worn out. I was camping Friday night, so we came back really worn out. You know, camping's supposed to be like relaxing. How come you come home exhausted from camping? That's what I want to know. Um, so, uh, all right, so here we are. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 
As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Well, in his book entitled Our Better Angels uh, that we took the title for this series from, uh, Jonathan Reckford, who's the CEO, the global CEO for Habitat for Humanity, writes that his grandmother taught him that the act of doing something, just the act of being useful, amplifies all of the other virtues. In other words, through serving others, we grow in virtues like generosity and humility and respect and kindness and community and joy. And I would also say that it works the other way around, too. You know, as we practice all of those virtues, I think we naturally end up living a life of service. Well, I believe that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians, too. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, if you read through that letter, you'll see that Paul lays out his incredibly rich theology, talking about who God is and what God is like. And he also grounds us in our identity in Christ. Who are we? You know, we're loved and we're chosen and we're called. It's just a rich three chapters that, that, that he soaks us in. And then beginning in chapter 4, he shifts gears. He, he, he turns a corner and he begins to write about what we're to do with all of that. So he starts out, like I read, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he proceeds to describe those virtues that are going to grow in us as we do that, virtues that flow from having our faith and our trust in God. And I believe Paul would say that if you're not seeing those virtues in yourself as much as you would like to, you know, if you feel like they're not growing as much as you would like them to grow in you, don't just grit your teeth and try harder. That's not the point. And certainly, don't give up either. That's not the point either. Now, what he would say is go back to chapters 1, 2, 3 of Ephesians, the first three chapters, and soak in the richness of who God is and who he says you are and open yourself to the reality that God loves you, that he's with you, that he's for you, and to the mystery of his presence in you because that is what will change you. Amen? Oh, come on. You're really depressing me here. Amen? Oh, yeah, that's much better. Okay, I need a little energy this morning. I told you I was camping. All right. Yeah. And then, as we grow in living a life worthy of our calling, and we see those virtues emerge in our lives, then Paul says we will also discover that grace, and this time by grace, he's not talking about the grace by which we're saved, you know, the unmerited favor of God. He's saying the gifts 
that God has given us. That's the grace he's talking about. We will grow in the grace, the gifts that God has given to us. We'll discover what they are. Paul then quotes Psalm 68. Um, You may not have noticed it, but as reading, he jumps into a a quote there, which uh, says, when God ascended on high, he took many captives. That's a quote from Psalm 68. But literally what it says is he took captives captive in the original language. He took captives captive. And the psalm, what it's doing, it's poetically describing how God captured away from Egypt those Israelites who had been captive in, in, as slaves in Egypt. He took the captives captive. And then on the heights of Mount Sinai, God gave them gifts. He gave them his covenant, making them his family, his very own people. Well, Paul is using what happened with the Israelites out there in the wilderness that long, long ago as a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Paul's saying that when Jesus rose from the dead and then he ascended to the heights of heaven, just like Moses ascended to the heights of Mount Sinai, well, he captured away all of us who had been captive to the kingdom of darkness. He took the captives captive. And he gave us gifts. He gave each of us gifts. Well, when did that really happen? It started at Pentecost. When the ascended Jesus, you know, he had died, he had been risen from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and when he ascended to heaven, it says he asked the Father to pour out his Holy Spirit on those 120 followers of Jesus that were praying and waiting for it. And then it's been happening ever since, to all of us who open our lives and our heart to Jesus. You know, that word Pentecost literally means 50, which comes from the fact that in the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish people were called to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost seven weeks and one day after Passover, which if you do the math, seven weeks and one day, 50 days, right? That's where the name comes from. Pentecost was one of three major festivals that the Jewish people were commanded to celebrate every year with feasting and drinking. You have got to love a God who commands you to party three times a year, don't you? I mean, come on, you really do. Well, this one took place right at the beginning of the harvest time. And the Israelites, so they were also commanded to bring the first of their harvest, uh, the first part, the the first of the plants or the crops that they had uh, grown, the first of their harvest and offer it to God. And well, in the Old Testament, that was called offering your first fruits. And so another name for Pentecost was the feast or the festival of first fruits. But I love how God turned that whole thing around uh, when he poured out the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost described in Acts chapter 2. Instead of the disciples bringing gifts and offering them to God, God gave, gave gifts to them that day. And the main gift that God gave to those 120 people was his very presence. It was the Holy Spirit coming and filling them that day, which Interestingly, Paul calls in Romans 8 the first fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that kind of a cool connection? It was a deposit 
on what's yet to come, a deposit on the fullness of the Spirit that we'll receive that day when we're resurrected with Jesus. And that gift, the gift of the presence of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that gift produced a whole array of gifts in those 120 disciples. Uh, Go back and read Acts chapter 2 this week sometime. Uh, And pouring out those gifts is what God's been doing for us ever since, for all of us who've put our trust in Jesus. He gives us all gifts. Still with me? Let me read on a little bit. I'm just making sure you're awake. Starting in verse 11. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a great passage there. Here in Ephesians 4, the gifts that come from the Spirit, you know, the gifts that come from the gift of the Spirit, you could say, are described as people, people who would devote themselves to equipping the church for works of service. So the pastors and the prophets and the apostles and the, you know, the teachers, all these people, all these, these people were gifts or our gifts, God would say, to the church to equip all of us for works of service. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, those gifts are described as the charismata, the, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is where some of the more supernatural kinds of manifestations show up, and they're all given for the common good, it says, in other words, so that we can serve one another. And then in both 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we're told that each one of us has been given gifts so that all of us working together can be like Jesus loving and serving the world, that it's really each of us has something so that all of us together can do what we're called to do. Peter sums it up so well in 1 Peter 4.10 where he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So this is what I was seeing in all this as I was looking at it. We've all been gifted to serve. We've all been gifted to serve. And I think that's the point of Pentecost. You know, it's, it's the goal of Pentecost. When we think about Pentecost or you hear about it, often we get, we get focused on the gifts, especially the more supernatural gifts that were poured out on those disciples that first day. And those are important. Don't get me wrong. They're still important today. I mean, we just had 18 people here spend two semesters going through School of Kingdom ministry, getting trained in how to use those gifts better. So we think they're really important. But the gifts are important not for their own sake, but because they're tools to use for serving others, right? That's why they're important. See, God loves this world, right? You know, he, he loves all the people in this world, including people 
maybe who don't love him all that much yet, you know, who don't think that much about him. And his plan is to renew the whole world. His plan is to make all things new. And in the wisdom of God, he has decided that he wants us to be a part of that happening. He wants you to be a part of all things being made new. What a privilege, right? What a privilege. So he's come to live in us. You know, he's breathed his life into us. He's given us his Holy Spirit so that God himself in the presence of the Spirit, present the person of the Spirit, comes and dwells within us. And with that, we all have gifts so that all of us and each of us can love and serve the world like Jesus does. And I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says live a life worthy of your calling. You know, he's not so worried about whether you are this perfect person. He's saying use what's been given to you to love and serve the world like I do. We've all been gifted to serve. Say I've been gifted to serve. Do you believe that? Yeah, you really have. You have been given gifts so that you can love and serve the world like Jesus, and we can all do it together. You know, and it's easy to make that more complicated than it really is. It really is easy. Back in the day, we used to spend a lot of time uh, doing workshops to help people figure out which spiritual gifts, you know, we all have, right? And, and that can be useful. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but all too often, I think it just ended up being another workshop notebook put away on a shelf somewhere when it was over, right? We go to the workshop, figure it out, and then you file it away, and it's like, yeah, so what, right? I think now we're better off. This is, I, I think, a much better approach is simply jump in and serve however you want to jump in and serve. And as you do that, the gifts that we have will become evident, you know? It becomes obvious what the gifts are that God has given us because we all have gifts because we have the gift. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And as Martin Luther pointed out to that cobbler, a big part of our life of service is just doing what we do every day and doing it well and doing it for the Lord and doing it in a way that honors and serves others. You know, so whether you're at home with your kids or at work, you know, doing whatever you do for work or, you know, out in your neighborhood, it's just the stuff that we do every day. We do it empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and serve the people around us. We're all gifted to serve all of the time. You know, the Holy Spirit is in us all of the time, and everything that we do matters. It's not like there's some religious things we do and some non-religious. Spiritual things we do and non-spiritual things, everything matters to God, right? Yeah. I love how Reckford says in Our Better Angels that serving is about connecting your passions and your abilities to God's mission. Your passions and your abilities to God's mission. So you think about that. You know, what is it that you're passionate about? You know, what abilities has God given you? He's made you that way for a reason. It's not just your passion. It's what you're good at too. Because um, like I said, he, he made you that way so that you would be able to do the things that he wants you to do. You know, you are who God made you to be. And it's a good thing. 
And remember, God's mission is renewing all things, anything that in some way is loving and serving others is a part of God's mission. We've all been gifted to serve. So Bill Metzger and his son Stein were volunteer house leaders, they're called, for a five-day Habitat for Humanity build in the Philippines in 1999. That meant they were each, Bill and his son Stein, were each in charge of a house being completed. And it was the last afternoon of this build, of this five-day build. And they'd been told to complete as much as they could on their houses, and then a local crew of professionals would take over and finish whatever wasn't done. So the volunteers worked just insanely hard that day, you know, trying to get as much done as possible on that last day. And the house Bill was in charge of was 95% complete. After five long days of work, his crew was exhausted. And standing outside his house, Bill was feeling pretty good about how much they'd gotten done and, uh, you know, everything that they had done. And, And then he was really pleased and surprised as he stood there outside his house to see President Jimmy Carter come walking up the road. I don't know if you know this, but Jimmy Carter is a huge Habitat for Humanity uh, supporter and volunteer, been involved in it for ever since I think he left the presidency. He's been involved as a a major volunteer with Habitat. Uh, So Jimmy Carter comes walking down the road. And everybody who had been working on the build, you know, started calling out, Mr. President, Mr. President. They all wanted him to come over and get their picture taken with him. Uh, but Carter, they said, was kind and gentle, but he said, no, thank you. Didn't want to spend time getting pictures taken because he, he was really intent on checking the progress of all of those houses that were supposed to be getting built. He and Mrs. Carter had been in charge of a particular house, and they had finished theirs. And now, you know, he, he really cared about seeing how far this whole project was was getting done and, and how much, how each leader would be leaving their home. So he was checking up on everybody, seeing how much they'd gotten done. And as he walked toward Bill, Bill wondered, what am I going to say to the president? <laughs> what am I going to say to him? But before he could say anything, Carter asked him a question. He said, you got that toilet in? <laughs> well, that wasn't the question Bill was expecting. Uh, and his reply was, no, sir, I didn't. Uh, so Carter asked, well, can I show you how to do it? And Bill said, yes, sir. Was he going to say no to the president? <laughs> Probably not, right? Well, in the bathroom, there was a drain hole, and in the corner sat the toilet, and then there was a big bag of mortar there. So Carter said, you know, mix up some of that mortar over there. So Bill mixed it up, and then Carter said, now watch what I do. And the president got down on his hands and knees He spread the mortar around the drainage hole, and then he gently set the toilet uh, around the drainage hole uh, into the mortar. And then he pulled out his level from his tool belt, you know, checked it both directions, made sure it was just right. You know, this was President Carter at this point was 75 years old. And there he was down on his hands and knees setting a toilet in a house in the Philippines. And then when he was done, the president said, okay, can you show your son how to do that? Show Stein how to do that? And Bill said, yes, sir. And off went the president, no chit-chat, no shaking of hands or pats on the back. You know, he was on the job checking to see if these houses were done or not. And he didn't want to leave until every house had a working toilet. So Bill went next door to his son Stein's house, uh, passed on what the president had taught him. See, Jimmy Carter is passionate 
uh, about these Habitat for Humanity. He passionately believes what Habitat has as their, I think their motto, is that everybody deserves a good home. He's passionate about that. Reckford wrote, uh, he wrote this book 20 years after that event had taken place, and he said it was, they were just coming up on Carter's 95th birthday, and he was scheduled, Carter was scheduled to do another week-long habitat build in Nashville that time, uh, just after his 95th birthday. Can you imagine that? 95 years old. I hope I am still passionately serving God's mission when I'm 95 years old. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. So my question again to you is, what is it you're passionate about? What are you really passionate about? That's a good thing to spend some time on. What are you passionate about? And what are your abilities? What has God equipped you? What has he given you that you're good at? And how could that combination of your passion and your abilities, how can you use that to serve others? How are you already doing it, maybe? And how could you do it in fresh ways? We've all been gifted to serve. Amen? Amen.